prayer for the Ephesian church. And in a nutshell, his prayer is that the church would be strengthened. Some time ago, now I heard a interview with a Christian counselor who works with soldiers who have returned from combat. And he referred in this interview to a part of our nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. It's what produces the energy that we need to respond to life-threatening circumstances. And so you may have heard of a mother who's been able to lift a car off of her child or of a, of a mountain climber who's been able to fight and strangle uh, a mountain lion to death. The power wasn't in their muscles. It was supplied to their muscles from this part of our nervous system. And the truth is that when you were saved, a supernatural strength was made available to you. It's not the kind of strength that would enable your grandma to get Mike Tyson in a headlock or to, to bench more than Arnie in his prime. It's a spiritual strength that enables you to be and to do and to know what you couldn't have been done or known before you were born again. Paul described this strength in 2 Corinthians as a surpassing power that belongs to God and enables us mere jars of clay to be afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. And in our passage today, Paul prays that the church would be strengthened to know something. Strengthened to know, strengthened to experience the wonder of what it means to be a Christian. Strengthened to live in the good of what is ours as followers of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Because you remember, Paul was writing to people who could have been forgiven for having developed something of an inferiority complex. He was writing to people like us, Gentiles, non-Jews, who for the longest time had always been kept on the fray on the outskirts of God's redemptive work in the world. He spent half a chapter back in chapter 2 assuring them, assuring us that Jesus Jesus Christ has made us equals together with believing Jews. He said, you are fellow citizens of God's kingdom and members of the household of God. And here in chapter 3, Paul prays for them. He prays that God would take those gospel truths and impress them into their minds and lodge them into their souls for them to know the wonder and the glory of all that was theirs in Jesus Christ. Praise they would be strengthened to know. 
and to taste and to see and to experience the wonder of belonging to Jesus. And so let me just ask you right at the outset of this message, are you presently knowing, tasting, seeing, and experiencing the wonder of belonging to Jesus Christ and all that is yours in Him. Because if you're not, friend, you must. There is all the difference in the world between having something and experiencing something. It's the difference between having a wedding certificate and your honeymoon. It's the difference between having the deeds of the house and coming back after a long day's work. It's the difference between a religious game and actually walking with Jesus Christ all the way to heaven. The two are not the same. And we need to be experienced to know the wonder of all that is ours in Jesus. Because listen to me, friend, a religious game won't keep you from having an affair. A religious game won't send you as a missionary to Papua New Guinea. A religious game won't enable you to persevere as a Christian with faith through chemotherapy. Only an abiding experience of all that is yours in Jesus Christ will do that for you. And so come with me now as we walk through this staggering prayer of Paul's for the Ephesian church here in Ephesians chapter 3. The doxology that Austin read at the end of that reading there will be in the next passage. We're just looking today at verses 14, I believe it is, uh, to 19. And today we're going to see, number one, the source of our strength, and number two, the purpose of our strength as well. So number one, the source of our strength. Look at verses 14 to 16. Paul writes there, for this reason, and that reason just by the way was their equality with believing Jews. Paul described it as their glory in the last passage. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might, he might may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So according to what are we strengthened, says Paul, well, verse 16, according to the riches of the Father's glory. That is, in other words, since the Father is infinitely rich in glory, He has a corresponding infinite supply of all that our souls need to be strengthened. He lacks no glory, and He also lacks, therefore, no resource to strengthen our souls. It is an infinitely vast, infinitely bottomless supply. Now, as I've said, in the verses that follow, Paul is going to tell the church why he prayed for them to be strengthened. He's going to give them the reason. And he wanted them to be strengthened, you've heard me say already, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts experientially and that they might experience the magnitude of his love for them. But friends, the truth is to know those wonders our souls first have to be strengthened. 
You see, no one carries a pair of dumbbells in a brown paper bag. And no one carries a trolley worth of food in one plastic bag. Why? Well, because those things are too heavy for those fragile things. And we can't experience Christ dwelling in our hearts and all of his love for us unless our hearts are first fortified and reinforced. The weight of the experience is too great. But the good news is, the Father has an infinite supply of what our souls need to be strengthened and enabled to bear the weight and the wonder of those things. And so Paul dropped to his knees and he looked to heaven. And you can imagine him there under arrest, chained to a soldier with arms outstretched, praying to the Father to give to them the strength needed for all of those wonders to be theirs experientially. Now friends, I realize and I know that this passage pulsates with positivity. If our passage today were a meal, it would be a dessert. Clearly, sticky toffee pudding or something like that. If it were a piece of music, it would obviously be written in the major key. But friends, there is a kick to the gut of our pride in these verses. Why? Where is that? Well, friend, remember that in only the last passage, in the passage we looked at last Sunday morning, Paul had been describing his ministry among the Gentiles. And immediately after describing his ministry to the Gentiles, he prayed for the Gentiles. Why would that be? Well, because Paul knew that if God didn't strengthen their hearts to experience the reality of all that he had preached to them, of all that he'd written to them, of all that he had ministered to them, then they wouldn't experience it at all. Think about that, friends. Even Paul's ministry, apostle though he was, was powerless apart from the power of God applying the message to their souls. And therefore, friends, who on earth do we think that we are to survive as Christians and thrive as Christians without that same power being applied to us? Who do I think I am? to strengthen you according to my power and according to my gifts and abilities if Paul's gifts and abilities weren't enough in themselves. Friend, think about it. If Paul, the greatest preacher who has ever lived after the Lord Jesus Christ, who raised the dead and who wrote the book of Romans, dropped to his knees and pleaded with God to strengthen the souls of those to whom he ministered, then who do I think I am to do any good in your life at all? Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But you're not off the hook either, my friends. Because who do you think you are to come into this place without first having dropped to your knees, begging God to strengthen you in order for you to know the reality of what is preached from this pulpit and from this platform. 
Just because you're a regular here, friend. Just because you're, you've been a church member here for longer than I've been alive doesn't mean to say that you are not desperately in need of the strengthening power of God to apply what you hear and to make it real to you. Church, we need to get busy identifying and crucifying all presumption in our lives. If you want to to know what is yours in Jesus Christ, if you want to experience it, if you want to taste it, if you want to revel in it, crucify and identify all presumption and replace it with a wholehearted dependence on the Father. Lean on Him with all of your might. Let's just say for for a moment here, you all were very kind and generous to me. And let's say that you gave me a whole year to prepare one sermon for you. And let's say I prepared this sermon from your favorite passage, maybe uh, the the end of of, of Romans chapter 8 or something out of the Gospel of John or Psalm 23 or something like that. And let's say my exegesis was spot on. And let's say I read every commentary under the sun. And let's say I had a gripping personal story for all of my subpoints and a banger of a Spurgeon quote for every subpoint I had. If I stood before you with a spirit that was trusting my preparation, friend, that sermon would do nothing for you. But if I stood before you on knees that had been bent in humble dependence on God, then God might just be pleased to perfect what was prepared in weakness. Friend, identify and crucify all presumption in your life. And join the Apostle Paul. Yes, the Apostle Paul on bended knee. Because my dear friend, if you are going to be strengthened with power in your inner being to know the indwelling presence of Christ and the immensity of his love for you, it will not be because you have a large library. It won't be because you're well read. It won't be because you can destroy people in a debate. It won't be because you've been to a prestigious university. It won't be because your podcast player is loaded up with all of the best preachers in the world. It won't be because you have held and occupied an office in the church. It won't be because people come to you for advice. It won't be because you can smell an Arminian 100 feet away. No, you will be strengthened according to the riches of His glory by His Spirit alone. Bend your knees, therefore, in humble dependence on God, the source of our strength. But second, I want us to see the purpose of our strength. Look with me at verses 17. Well, actually, why did let's ask the question, why did Paul why did Paul pray that God would strengthen his readers? He gives us two reasons. Look at verse 17. Reason number 1, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
You see, friends, it wasn't that Christ didn't dwell in their hearts already. This was the church in Ephesus. Paul has already called them saints, but it was that Paul wanted them to know and to experience the wonder of having Christ dwell in their hearts by faith. He wanted them and he wanted us to know. To know the peace that comes when Jesus is on the throne of our hearts. The fellowship that is enjoyed when Jesus is gladly obeyed. And the intimacy that's felt when Jesus is adored. The assurance that's given when Jesus' word is trusted. And the hope that we know when Jesus' presence is real. And the victory that's ours when every rebel power in our minds is under his victorious feet. And that experience can be ours, Paul says here, through faith. Through faith. And so what I want to do right now is share with you all the most practical way that I experienced Jesus dwelling in my heart through faith. This is not something that originated with me. Uh, this is the strategy of faith that the church has used for the last 2,000 years. But what I do is this. I call to mind a promise that fits the occasion that I find myself in and I receive it for myself personally. Let me give you a few examples. So a few hours ago, face down on the floor in my study, realizing that I'm powerless to affect any good in your lives at all, I brought to mind Matthew 28 verse 20. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And it's like, well, now I'm ready to preach. Exodus 4 verse 2. Moses, there he is, trembling at the assignment that God had given him. Go to Pharaoh Moses and tell him, let my people go. And he says, I can't, I can't speak. And what does God say? I will be with your mouth. I call to mind Isaiah 41.10. Fear not you, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And by faith in those promises, it's like you can feel Jesus indwelling your soul and reigning supreme and standing on the waters of all of your anxiety. And so let's say you're here today and you're concerned about your future. You're about to go off to university. You don't know what that's going to be like. You don't know anyone at the university that you're going to go to. Or, or let's say that you have a hunch that perhaps you're going to be made redundant in the years to come. People are already uh, being laid off. Or let's say you want to be married, and, but you, you haven't met the right one yet, and you don't know when that's going to happen or if that's going to happen in your life. You can call to mind Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Or let's say you, you're concerned for your soul because your, your soul feels so prone to wander, so prone to leave that you, 
the God that you love. And sometimes you feel like you don't even feel like you're a Christian. And you can call to mind Ezekiel 36 verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Philippians 1 verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And through faith in all of those promises that are tailor-made and tailor-written for you in, that, in your particular experiences, you can know Jesus dwelling in your heart by faith. And He's there again. And He's real to you again. And even some of you here in this room, hearing those promises, again, feel Him dwelling in your heart right now, don't you? By faith. But there was another reason. Look at the end of verse 17. Paul writes there that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He likens his readers to uh, trees who are rooted in the soil of Jesus' love for them. And he likens them to buildings established on the foundation of Jesus' love for them. And as such men and women, he, he, he prayed that their souls would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the love of Christ that knows no bounds, that has no limits, and is altogether inexhaustible. No matter where you find yourself in life and no matter where you find yourself in the world. And commenting on these verses, John Stott wrote this. He said, The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, Jews and Gentiles, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. And Leslie Mitten wrote this, Whether you go forward or backward, up to the heights or down to the depths, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. And friends, that's why we need our hearts to be strengthened, to know that love, not only in our brains, but in our souls, not just theoretically, but experientially. It changed everything for you, didn't it? When you experienced it at first, turned your world upside down. I was listening to um, a Paul Washer sermon a few years ago, and he told this story of a time that he was preaching in a church of about 15 people in Alaska. He said there were probably more bears in the town than there were people. And as his sermon began, this giant of a man just walks in through the back and sits down. And he was miserable. And he was holding in his hand an envelope. And at the end of the message, Paul Washer made a beeline for him, shook his hand, and he said, Sir, what's wrong? And he sat down with him and he said, I've just come from the doctor, been told that I have cancer, been told that I have three weeks to live, never been afraid of anything in my life, but I'm afraid to die. I've heard, I believe there's a God, and I've heard of someone called Jesus. Can you help me? And he said, sir, I'm due to leave tomorrow, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cancel my flight. And I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to share the gospel with you until either you are converted 
or you die and go to hell. And so that's what he did. Shared Christ from the Old Testament. Shared Christ from the New Testament. Illustrated the gospel. Applied the gospel. Prayed the gospel. And nothing was happening. And eventually one night he opened his Bible to John 3.16. And he gave him his Bible. And he said, look, just, just read this. Read it out loud for me. And this man started to read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And he looked up from his Bible and he says, I have it. I have it. And he said, what, what are you talking about? What, what happened? And he said, what, haven't you ever read this verse before? <laughs> and when you were converted, the love of God meant that much to you, didn't it? It meant so much to you that if you had three weeks to live, you would have walked boldly through those three weeks with a smile on your face, knowing that you were going from glory to glory, no real change. That's the way it was for us back then. And Paul says, that's the way I want it to be for you now. And let me just say, if we're going to get that back in our lives, then friends, we need to visit the place where we received it at first. We need to go to the cross every day. And we need to let Calvary be real to us. Friend, the cross will mortify your pride. It will drain the lifeblood out of all of, self, of your self-sufficiency. And it will assure your soul of the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. If you want your first love back, go to the place where you received it at first. Why? Verse 19 that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is, that you might be filled up to the standard, Paul is saying there, of God's moral perfection. Now, Paul is going to spend three whole chapters telling us uh, what it looks like in practice for us to be filled up to the fullness of God's moral perfection. He's going to apply it to every life scenario imaginable. But don't miss the preference here. And the, pref uh, the preface, rather, is this, that love is the key to holiness. Love is the key to holiness. In other words, if you're loved by Jesus and you know that you're loved by Jesus, then you will want to obey him. And you will want to be like him. And you will want to follow him all the way to heaven. Years ago, there was a, an Anglican minister who died with these four magnitudes on his lips. The, the breadth, breadth and length and height and depth of love. Today, we would say uh, this was his life verse. And you know, his life was the proof that love is the key to holiness. Sometimes when I'm tempted to, to be a bit exasperated here and I'm feeling maybe a little bit sorry for myself, my mind goes to the life of this man for a little bit of perspective. For the first 10 years in his church, the deacons locked the pew doors 
so that nobody could sit down during any of the services. That's how much they hated his preaching. And so the only people that could listen to this man's preaching were the people who were willing to stand for the entire duration of the service, probably not very many. And so he bought himself some chairs out of pocket, and he put them all in the pews. And the deacons responded by chucking them all in the church courtyard. And again, that went on for 10 years. And he labored for 54 years in that one place. How? Because his soul had been strengthened to know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Christ's love for him. Love was the key to holiness. And so it will be for us, friends. That's why we need to be strengthened. To know the love of Christ and his indwelling in our hearts. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't we take a moment and pray together. And then we'll sing one last song together.